But I want to start with the very last verse of John chapter 16. And then I want to backtrack. Because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we need to see the destination before we backtrack and go through the journey, right? Sometimes that's helpful for us. And I think in this particular instance, it's helpful to us. So listen to the very last verse, John 16, 33, right here in the Gospel of John, it says this, I have said these things to you, that in me, who's me? Come on, you can get this right. boy. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Some of your Bibles will say trouble. But take heart. Take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. When did he overcome the world? When he laid down his life on the cross, but then took it back up of his own accord when he walked out of the tomb three days later on that first Easter. Amen? N.T. Wright, in Surprised by Hope, writes this, and I think it's helpful to get us going in the right direction here as we go back through John 16. He says these words, he says, The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life You, right now, in your life, flesh and bone, like you, the life you live, is not valueless. Is not valueless just because it's going to die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present By painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, A little more bearable until the day we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building God's kingdom. Your life now matters. This is why Jesus taught us when you pray to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. It matters. Because Jesus has overcome the world, it is possible for you and I to do a couple things here in John 16. Live at peace. We've been going over this in, John, in John's gospel, that there is peace available. And if we're not feeling it, it's not because God's changed. It's because we don't have enough heaven in us yet. Right? Right? The Greek word for tribulation here is called thipsis. Super fun to say. You should try it. Thipsis. And what it means is pressure. 
If I was to go around the room and ask you this week, did you feel any pressure? Do you feel any difficulty? Do you feel any trial? Do you feel any tribulation? Do you feel anything in this life, this pressing in on all sides? Yes, we all do, and it's part of life. It doesn't matter if you are in middle school today, high school, young adult, old adult, or anywhere in between. Even babies feel the pressure. And then they scream. And then we feel the pressure, right? And so all these things, right? What do they say? From the womb to the tomb, we experience the pressing in on all sides, right? That reminds me of a Bible verse, doesn't it? Though we are crushed and persecuted, yet we are not what? Abandoned, right? Matters. All of it matters. Because, notice in Jesus' invitation here, the calling, the invitation, is that in spite of this oppression, we can take heart. We can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. So what we want to see from the text is what it looks like to take heart. Right? What does it look like to take heart? What leads John... As he writes, as he's listening to Jesus here, to tell us, to tell the people of God, to tell his audience, that early church, and then deliver this conclusion to take heart, just as Jesus overcome the world, what, what led him to that conclusion? What were the factors that Jesus was telling them, and that John is recording for us, led to them... To make the conclusion that I can take heart because this man standing in front of me has overcome the world. Because Jesus is obviously prophetically speaking to the death and resurrection that was coming. Because over and over again here he's going to say, and the disciples are going to say, you keep speaking in this figurative speech. You keep speaking in this figurative way. But now we understand. And so this is where they are. But... There's a lot here. We're not going to cover all of it, and you should study it this week. I just want to throw that disclaimer out there. What I want to do is look at it from a 30,000-foot view with you and look at the outline of this text and why it is the way it is. What is so significant here that leads us to that place of John 16:33 that Jesus has overcome the world? I want you to see the flow of the entire chapter, Okay. The very first part of the chapter begins by reminding us what John has just recorded for us in chapter 15. Remember, the chapters and verses aren't God-given, right? This was a big, long story pointing to Jesus, the whole thing, right? These are there to help us find our place and get our way and do things the way we do them, but they're not divine by any stretch. But the first couple verses of chapter 16 are reminding us, keeping us attached to what just came in 15, right? What we've talked about the past few weeks, that there's persecution for God's people. There's persecution for God. The very first verse of chapter 16 says this, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Because what's the danger? That you're going to go through suffering, you're going to go through persecution, you're going to hit hard times, you're going to feel that pressing in on all sides, and you're going to be tempted to walk away. You're going to be tempted to quit. I have been frequently tempted to quit, right? Because it's easier to just go with the flow. For sure, it is easier 
to throw in the towel. Less pressure, less squeezing, less shaping. And the Bible doesn't hide from that, right? It says iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Even in our friendships, there's a pressing, there's a molding. There is, by Scripture's admission, that crushing and that persecution happening. And if it's not, well, you can draw the conclusion that you want. If I'm not experiencing any of the pressure from the world and its system and the devil, then I might not be following Jesus in the way that I ought to, right? That's the natural implication. Because Jesus is acknowledging that all of this pressing, all of this persecution, all of this suffering can lead you to the place our culture calls it deconstruction, right? And that's fine. You deconstruct all you want. Just make sure you reconstruct when you're done, right? Because there are good answers. It's just some of us over the last hundred years gave you bad answers, right? And that's been true for all of time. Because we aren't Jesus, right? We're just trying to follow Jesus. And so, super important. But if you drop down then, so it goes from persecution in the first couple of verses to the work of the Holy Spirit. Super, super important. Look at verses 7 to 9 with me quickly. In verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. This is where the disciples start to get confused. All right? It's to your advantage that I go away. How can that be possible, right? If we were to take a vote right now, Jesus present preaching instead of Mitch, every hand in the room would go up and so would mine, right? Because I'm pro Jesus being in the room. So how can Jesus say it'd be better for me to go away? It's to your advantage, right? We know what that's like. We know what competitive advantage is, right? We know what our ROIs are in all these terms. We live in that world. And Jesus is saying there's an advantage, To me, going away. Why? This is super important for your everyday life. For you to take heart. This is your first clue as to what is necessary for you to take heart. It's your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he, this is important, He, not me, okay, not you, will convict the world concerning sin. Oh, so that's not my job. Wow, interesting. And righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they what? Do not believe in me. Are you aware that sin is ultimately a belief issue? I choose what I think is best over what God thinks is best. Because I'm fickled in my spirit. Because I don't have quite enough heaven in me. To make that right decision every single time. And therefore I need a helper. Alright. So drop to verse 13 then. Alright. When the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take away, take what is mine and declare it to you. So we have the spirit of truth. He's going to declare to you and I truth. How does he do that? Through the reading of the word and prayer. Right? And so you're starting to see this unfold. Persecution comes. I'm supposed to take heart. Where does taking heart begin? With the Holy Spirit. 
with the Spirit of God in you, right? We just sang it and we read it from Colossians. This is the mystery. It's still the mystery. I can't really explain to you what it's going to be like for you to receive the Holy Spirit, as the Scripture says, to be sealed with the Holy Spirit and have Him begin to declare the truth to you in every area of life, not as He wants it, but as God the Father gives it to the Son who gives it to you. Wow. I want some of that. Can I ask a question that's just going to step on all of our toes? What if we all just did that and weren't worried about everything else that we worry about when it comes to church? Would things change? Probably. Certainly would in my heart. I'd do a whole lot less complaining and I'd do a whole lot more praying. So, there's things that are true that we kind of know are true but we struggle to follow. We struggle to follow, right? But, as the Holy Spirit begins to do His work, right? I'm being a little facetious because we are still sinners, right? We are not perfect. And we're all on a journey. There's a reason we call it a journey, right? We're all in different stages, different places, different gifts, right? And so, what comes next in this Thing. So it goes from the persecution to the work of the Holy Spirit. But then there's this odd thing that John records for us that Jesus is telling us. That they're actually, in that working of the Holy Spirit, in the midst of suffering, comes this otherworldly joy. This otherworldly joy. So persecution, the Holy Spirit, and then joy in suffering. Really, really interesting. Look at verse 18. It says this, it says, so they were saying, this is the disciples now, saying, what does he mean by a little while? Because he said, I'm going to go away for a while and then you're going to see me. What does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. I love the honesty of John here. I love the honesty of the Bible, right? There are just some times where like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Drop to verse 20, Jesus is talking, truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the crucifixion. That there's going to be this short period of time where the devil will rejoice and the world will rejoice and you're going to weep because you're going to forget that I said I'm coming again. (laughs) But look at what he says. I love this. See, you've seen this on a mug, but you never read it in context. (laughs) Now, maybe you did read it in context, but we pull this stuff out and put it on mugs and t-shirts, right? But it's in this context that this famous verse comes. You're going to be weeping and lamenting, and the world will be rejoicing. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. That is not for when your cat dies, okay? That's not for when you're having a bad day. Right? Sometimes we need to be recalibrated back to eternal things about the kingdom of God coming in earth as it is in heaven and recognize where is it just my 21st century United States of American privilege and where is it actual suffering for Jesus. There's a massive difference, isn't there? Massive difference. And so here, Jesus is offering when you get about the things that I'm about. 
and you start to rub off some of the things that the world is about and you start to get persecuted for the things I'm about, I'm going to show up in that space and turn your sorrow into joy. But it's it's like giving birth, he compares it to. I've never done that, but I'll take his word for it. All right, and then you go to verse 22. You also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one, here we go, there's all these ultimatums. No one will take your joy from you. Whatever, go down a little bit in verse 23. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Verse 24. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. Tag that back to abide in me and I in you. And you will have this abundant life that is offered by Jesus. Then you will go through suffering, but no one can take your joy. Right? So sometimes we have to be reminded of the timeline of what God's doing here. Right? That the fact that Jesus died and rose again for you, like N.T. Wright pointed out, makes a difference. That all the things that we choose to do with our body now matter because of what Jesus is doing in the world. This is the thing, the spreading of the gospel, the building of God's kingdom that you can give your life to because it will always matter. This is why you can serve one person that none of us will ever hear about and it matters because they matter. Right? We, we, we like to see the videos and hear the stories and do the testimonies and that's all well and good and we're trying to do that. But what God's really after is getting heaven into you. And then you... Not having a schedule so packed full that you have the time and the sight to look at your neighbor and love them as yourself. To look at your coworker and love them as yourself. To look at your students in your class and love them as yourself. How crazy would it be if you walked into middle school or high school tomorrow or college or your job and just loved on people and didn't complain not a single time? When somebody persecuted you in whatever way they're persecuting you, you saw them as somebody who needs Jesus instead of an enemy. It would change my life. And it would change yours. And so we, we want to just keep pressing into Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what will get Satan out. <laughs> Man. Joy. Joy in suffering for Jesus leads to what? Alright, so you've got persecution and suffering leads us to see the work of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to realize that there's joy in suffering for Jesus, which leads us to rest in and work from the Father's love and the Son's victory. That's the flow of this whole chapter. Look at verse 25. I'm just going to read to the end of the chapter because it's that good. Jesus speaking again says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming 
when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself, without you ever asking for it, isn't that awesome? Loves you. Come on. The Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and I am now leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly to us and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Isn't that wild? We are in chapter 16. I don't even understand this part of the part of the verse there. They have been doing some crazy stuff with Jesus. Come on, listen, think about that. Think about some of the things Jesus said to them earlier. Like, you don't ever have to walk in darkness but have the light of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. They, they've, they've heard all the ones that we love. They were there. They watched Him heal people. John's going to say at the end of this, this book, at the end of his Gospel, he said, if I had written down everything Jesus did, there'd be, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to tell you about what Jesus is doing. That's what they were experiencing. And here in chapter 16, we're getting close to His crucifixion, and they're like, oh... You don't need us to question you. You actually, you know all things. I mean, we, did we, did we miss that somewhere along the way here? That's crazy. But that gives me hope, doesn't it? That gives me hope. They were looking him eyeball to eyeball and they didn't get it all. <laughs> but isn't that kind of the point? Don't you need to come to a realization in your own heart? Don't you need to come to the end of your rope so that you can find God's? Isn't that the whole point of the gospel? That you need to know that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and God made you alive together with Jesus. That's the whole point. That you and I don't bring anything to the table. It's only after He makes us alive and then begins to work in us and through us. That we start to see what He sees and enjoy what He enjoys and it takes a lifetime and eternity to do that. I love it. But look, He keeps going here. Verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? (laughs) Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now this is incredibly important because next week when we look at John 17, we're going to see that all come to fruition in how the gospel will advance in the world. And it's through our love. So our love for each other and our love for them. But this is what's leading to it. So we bring all of that full circle and we think about it's actually the painting, the preaching, the singing, the sowing, the praying, the teaching, the building hospitals, the digging wells, the campaigning for justice, the writing poems, the caring for the needy, the loving your neighbor as yourself, the building of the kingdom of God that lasts. 
what you do with your body matters. This is why the scripture says, I'll let no corrupt communication come out of my mouth, but such as is building up and edifying to the body. This is why the scripture says, bear one another's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. This is why next week John will say, record the words of Jesus saying, Father, as I have loved them, may they love each other. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We don't love each other like that yet. There are glimpses, don't get me wrong. There are glimpses. And I think the invitation for Redeemer City Church is to just press into that just a little more today. So just press into that a little more and say, you know what? All the feelings that I have pale in comparison. All the suffering in this present moment pale in comparison to what we have in Jesus. That what I do with my body today, when I go home and take a nap, come on somebody. That's holy stuff. When you go walk by the river, when you take your shoes off and walk in the grass, when you look up at the sky and you don't see... uh, It's hot. Oh, it's rained. Like me. (laughs) It's like, wait, you were complaining it was hot, now you're complaining it's raining. God can't win with you. Right? Like, you don't like any of it. I'm like, if I could just have perfect 65, sunny, and a cool breeze, please. Thank you. Right? You're like, you moved to Florida, bro. That never happens. Think about all the places you can go, right? Like that that children's book, All the Places I Go, right? (laughs) Think about all the places you can go and experience the glory of God. He's everywhere. He's next to you. That's the mystery. If the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, then when you pray with somebody in just a few minutes, when I give you the opportunity, you're displaying Christ. When you hug somebody who's going through a different, difficult time and you pray over them, this is the mystery of the gospel. This is loving one another as He has loved us. This is loving someone else like you love yourself. We know what this looks like. We've tasted and seen that He's good. And what I just want to invite all of us to do is to keep leaning into that. Keep leaning into that. If somebody offends you, what does Scripture say? Go to them. Don't tell 15 other people. That's ridiculous. Just go talk to them. It's probably not what you think. You ever done that? You ever like have a whole conversation with somebody in your head before, before you do, and then you go talk to them, and it was like something totally different? Happens all the time. Because Satan will take any foothold he can get to divide the people of God. Right? That's why the Scripture says both visible and invisible. Satan will take whatever he can get. But the beauty in the resurrection is that he already lost. He already lost. And the invitation is ultimately, if I can just put a bow on it this way, is ultimately an invitation to worship. Let me give you one more quote and then we'll wrap it up. 
Because here's the difficulty for us. As N.T. Wright helps us again. Here's what he said. He said, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe and adoration and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. This is why we say everybody worships. Right? You, this past Monday night, could have gone to Raymond James Stadium and been with 100,000 people that were worshiping. A football team. Big men in tights. It's kind of weird. I'm going to pray about that for me. This is why you can go to the office and sit at a desk and look at numbers and worship. This is why you can go home and take your kids to sports and lose your freaking mind. Because you're worshiping something. Right? And we could just go on and on and on, couldn't we? We could talk about addiction. We could talk about sin. We could, we could talk about all the things, right? That's not the point. The point is, is that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. <laughs> what are you worshiping today? What are you worshiping today? The invitation is to come to Jesus and live. So I just want to take a minute. I'm going to have the band come up. And I'm just going to ask them to play, play some art over us. Play some music over us. You guys can come up. And we'll sing in a minute. But before we sing, I think we need to be still. We just need to let the music wash over your soul. You know, when Jesus says that there's an anchor for your soul... What does that look like? It looks like us continuing every week together as the people of God, continuing to learn what it looks like to let go of the things that we are trying to control. What are we doing with our body? We're grasping. (laughs) Do you ever just let go and let your shoulders drop and feel that collective release? I think Jesus would like you to do a whole lot more of that and a whole lot more focusing on what he's doing in the world than what you're doing in the world and you'll find a lot more peace. So as the music plays, I just want to invite you to sit there for a minute and do nothing. Just listen. Listen to the music. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. And then pray 